Good morning. You guys doing okay? Everyone good? Good. I was telling the nine o'clock service before I get into all this jazz. Um, my allergies this time of year, man. I don't know if anyone else goes through that. I don't. I don't know like all the allergy terminology. People are like, "Oh, it's ragweed." I'm like, I'm not even sure if I know what kind of a plant that is. But like, um, whatever it is, it bothers me. And I was telling the nine o'clock. I keep this stash of emergency Afrin spray stuff, you know, in case I can't breathe and I'm about to walk up here. And whenever I, I, I I'm, I'm leery to tell people that because everyone has like that second cousin that got like addicted to nasal spray or whatever. So I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to talk about this. It's going to happen today. Uh, someone's going to get online, share the pastor, the experience is addicted to Afrin, you know, and I'll get like a one-star review for being a drug addict or something. So um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, sorry, no more of that. We'll get into the word. So we have been working. <laughs> if it's your first time here, you're like, man, we're done. Uh, <laughs> we are in the book of Nehemiah. We've been working through this for a while. And if you haven't been with us, let me tell you a little bit about it. It's, it's a very, very easy story to understand. It's in the Old Testament, sandwiched in between the book of Ezra and the book of Esther. We have the book of Nehemiah. Getting close to the end of it, in fact, uh, Next week, we'll be covering the last chapter. And it's weird. I always want you guys to read ahead. I almost don't want you to read ahead because it ends. There's, there's kind of a plot twist at the end of Nehemiah, and it's, uh, it's very, very interesting. Where we are in the story, though, is this. If you haven't been here, if you have been here, excuse me for a second, Nehemiah, who was a Jewish man, him and a lot of other Jews were exiled to what is modern-day Iraq, right, which in the Bible is called the area of Babylonia, Babylon, that area, Okay. So Nehemiah ended up working for the king, the Persian king, a guy named Artaxerxes, found out that his hometown, Jerusalem, was in ruins, literally in ruins, both societally and structurally in ruins. So Nehemiah got permission from the king to travel 1,700 miles back to his home city to rebuild a wall around the city. Because in that time, if you didn't have a wall around a city, it wasn't fortified, it was vulnerable, you couldn't thrive as a people, right, unless you were protected. So he went back to Jerusalem to build a wall. If you weren't here, in chapter 6, he finished the wall, they got the wall completed. Chapter 7, the first wave of people started moving into that area. We'll find out today that was mostly the leaders moved into that area first. Chapter 8, they had this huge celebration, right? celebrating the fact that God um, miraculously allowed them to finish this wall and now they can start rebuilding the city and God gave them back their homeland. So there's this huge, massive celebration. The chapter after that, chapter nine, they repent for the things that got them into that conundrum in the first place. Basically, they're like, God, forgive our fathers, our forefathers, forgive us because we're the reason why everything fell apart in the first place. So they got God's forgiveness, okay? And then last week, when we were in chapter 10, the whole thing about chapter 10 is after they asked for forgiveness, they, they took an oath, a literal oath. They signed an oath, and then people swore to an oath that they would uphold the teachings of the Bible. That's chapter 10. And what we talked about, because it ends in chapter 10 with, we will not neglect the house of God. So New Testament Christians, like I hope most of us are in this room, We are the temple of God. We are the house of God. Not only are we the house of God, there's a second house of God. That's that's us as a community, right? What we're doing right now, church. So what we talked about last week is, are we committed, right? 
not only to our personal temple, our relationship with Jesus, are we committed to building this? Because if this falls apart, it, it, it negatively affects the city, negatively affects nations, as we see in the Bible. So are we committed to that? Now, what we're gonna do today, and again, you'll, you'll, have, to, uh, you'll have to give me some grace on this. We're gonna do chapters 11 and 12, and the, the point of 11 and 12 is, after the celebration, after the commitment to following God, now they have to get back to work, right? Now they have to go out and they have to build a society that honors God. That's what they're talking about. And we're gonna talk about that we still have to do that today. So here's where you have to show me some grace today. Uh, it's not my typical MO to skip over stuff, but if you've been with me through the book of Nehemiah, we skip over the lists for a couple of reasons. One, they're not exceptionally fun to, to read, right? And I don't mean that disrespectfully. And then secondly, for some reason, uh, God engineered my tongue in such a way to where Hebrew names are extremely problematic for me. So uh, I struggle to say them. So I'm gonna read a little bit, and then we're gonna summarize most of chapter 11. I'm gonna summarize the first half of chapter 12, and we'll read the end of chapter 12, uh, but we'll come to this, this conversation piece of because the work of God never ends, we have to constantly depend on him. Am I, do I keep cutting in and out? Is that just? Yes, no? Okay, I'm good. All right, seems like I'm cutting out up here. All right, so if you have a Bible, or in the Old Testament between Ezra and Esther, the book of Nehemiah, there should also be notes handouts when, uh, when you came in the doors. You should have got those. Everything will be on the screens. The Experience Community app, if you have that on your phone, just click on Sermon Notes and we should be in good shape, okay? So I'm gonna pray, and uh, we'll dive into this, and we'll see where God takes us, all right? Okay. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Uh, God, keep your hand on our church today. Lord, if we have ever needed you, if we've ever needed each other, it's right now, Father. So I pray that you strengthen our church. I pray not just for our church, we pray for every church in our city. We pray for all of our other campuses and all the churches in those cities. Um, Father, we pray for all the great nonprofits we work with. And Lord, today we pray that just our study of your word, that, that it not only honors you, we pray, God, that it sharpens us and brings us closer, not only to you, but also to each other. So Lord, be with us today, God, as we, as we study the book of Nehemiah. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to skip a lot and then we'll read some more, okay? Now the leaders of the people stayed in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots for one of 10 to come and live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while the other nine-tenths remain in their towns. The people blessed all the men who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. These are the heads of the province who stayed in Jerusalem, but in the villages of Judah, that's kind of the region, each lived on his own property in their towns. The Israelites, priests, Levites, temple servants, and descendants of Solomon's servants, while some of the descendants of Judah and Benjamin settled in Jerusalem. Okay, and then he's gonna get into, after what I just read there, it's the list of all the people he just mentioned, okay? So Jerusalem had already been repopulated a little bit, but it was mostly just the leaders. We saw that earlier in the book of Nehemiah. Now, the, the more kind of normal citizens, if you will, needed to come in, repopulate the city in order for it to thrive, to grow, to become a healthy society. 
Now, the way they determined who would move back into the city, because what was happening is most people were living out in the country. And so similar to what's happening in Middle Tennessee, I don't know if you guys know, but the entire world is, is moving to, to Middle Tennessee. And so what happens <laughs> is because it gets so populated, a lot of people want to kind of move out and they get comfortable more in the country areas, a little bit more space, a little less people, right? We're even starting to see that in Murfreesboro. People are kind of moving out in the county or maybe moving out into Cannon County or Bedford County or whatever the case may be. So what was happening is not everyone wanted to move back to the city. So they cast lots, essentially rolled dice, and one out of every 10 people would be kind of drafted to go back to the city. But there were a bunch of people, it said, who were praised by the people because they volunteered. They said, we will do it. We will give up. This is important. We will give up our comfortable place that we live out here in order to be a missionary and help rebuild the city that is so important to us. So it was a very sacrificial thing, and they were praised for that. Now, if you haven't been here, I often talk about these lists in the Bible, and God knows that I'm okay saying this. It's not that they're fun to read, but they are here for a reason. Every word in this book is here for a reason. And like other lists that we've covered, this list is also important because we see it mentions Judah and Benjamin's descendants, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, all these people moving back into the city. And the reason why that list is important is we see the diversity of the family of God. Look, you, you have the, the common kind of working class citizens, you have the religious leaders, you have military and what we would call police security. You have artists, you have people that live outside the city walls that grow the crops, right? You have farmers and you see that the people of God are not only diverse, it was intentionally diverse that the kingdom of God should always be diverse. It, it's the, the people who follow God are not just one cookie cutter kind of person, right? It's, it's a multiplicity of different kinds of people. We also learn, this is all throughout the Bible, that God loves community because God is communal. You, are, you and I are made in the image of God. God is a triune God. That means there is one God that is manifested in a father, son, and spirit. That means that God is perfect community within himself. Because we are made in the image of God, you and I were made to be in community. That doesn't mean we have to live in large metropolitan cities, but it means that we are designed to be around other people. So it's a really piece of bad theology. Whenever you hear Christians say, just me and Jesus, you haven't read your Bible very well because it's not supposed to be just you and Jesus. We're to be doing this in community. So here's the thing. Christians are not only called to be around other people. Christians are called to be the light of community. We are called to be the salt of community. Not that we're better than anyone, but one of the reasons why we're called to be around people is because people need the light of Christ. And as Christians, we carry that light. Matthew chapter five. So I say this all the time. Isolation is not a principle that is taught in that Bible, not geographical isolation, right? That we are to be around people. So I often say, don't be isolated from people, be insulated by the Holy Spirit so you can go amongst people and share the good news with them, right? And you're not negatively affected. We say that all the time in this church. So it's easy though, here's another thing. As a sarcastic pastor of almost 13 years, People say all the time, well, Corey, it's easy, it's easy. 
Just love God, love people. And I'll say, well, loving God is easy, but you haven't been around very many people, have you, right? (laughs) Hey, if we're just talking honest in here, like we can be quite awful. So I, I do love people. It's not because I just naturally want to. I think God has put that in me. But whenever I hear people say, it's easy, Corey, just love people, I'm like, okay, all right. Go out in society a little bit and come back and tell me, tell me how easy it is. So because with people, anyone in this room knows, comes problems, right? It's hard. And if we are going to go out and love people and share the truth of God with them, we have to go out knowing that we're going to have to sacrifice our comforts. Sometimes we just have to take it on the chin. Sometimes we have to swallow our pride and not get into these arguments and debates and get distracted. The other thing is, is no matter where we are, whether you like where you are or not, I hope you you like where you are right this minute, but regardless of where you are in life, we are called to live on mission wherever God has placed us right now. That means at your job, at your school, geographically in this part of the world, whatever the case may be, that we are to constantly be loving God and loving people wherever God has us in the moment. Now, he may call us somewhere else, but until he does, we have to live on the mission where we're planted. So whenever someone comes to me and they say, Corey, I wanna be a missionary in Africa, my first response will be, how many disciples have you made in Murfreesboro? If you haven't made any disciples of Christ here, why in the world do you think that you're gonna live on mission There, you need to live on mission wherever God has you planted. So here's the thing. To be a Christian is not just a sacrifice for the sake of, for God, right? As a Christian, we are to sacrifice for the sake of those around us as well. That when we are living out God's will, it's not just a blessing to the Lord, it's a blessing to the people around us. That's how we are to live. Here's the other thing, and I don't mean to get all like super deep with you guys today, But what these two chapters are about, and basically the whole book of Nehemiah, is about a migration to Jerusalem. People giving up, listen, people giving up their wills and their desires for God's desires so they can wind up in their promised land, Jerusalem. I don't know if you guys know this or not, this entire book is a book about migration. All of us are migrating. One day we will migrate to a new Jerusalem. If you go to the back of this Bible, In the book of Revelation, it says that God will wipe away the old heavens and the earth. He will create a new heavens, that means universe, a new earth, that means earth, and that there will, this city will come up out of the heavens and land on the new earth, and it is called the new Jerusalem. And I hope that's where I get to reside with all of you for eternity. That's in the very end of the book of Revelation. So just like they had to give up comforts, to go to Jerusalem, we have to give up and sacrifice our will so we can inherit a new Jerusalem for eternity. Now, the other side of that is this. It's not just about me getting to heaven. We as Christians should have a desire to get as many people as we can to go with us. So it's not about just me making it to a new Jerusalem. I wanna get all of you, and I hope all of you wanna get your families and and your friends and your neighbors, and I wanna see as many people in heaven as humanly possible. That's what we are called to do, okay? So in the first half of chapter 12, we have yet another list. What makes this list a little bit different is this is a list specifically about ministers, the Levites, the priests, the teachers of the word. Not only is it a list about the Levites, it is a list that expounds uh, kind of the history 
of the, the authority that the Levites had over the Jews, basically the religious authority that they had. This is important because if you know the history of the Jews, there was a lot of turbulent times for the Jewish people. In fact, during this time, they were, they were still in a pretty turbulent time. Think, they were once slaves in Egypt. They once had to go through the desert for 40 years on their way to Jerusalem. The Jews went through a lot of tough times. But if one sees the history of the priesthood, you see that no matter what the situation was, ministry never stopped. What's important about that is this. Since you and I have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian in here, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, says if you've given your life to Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, us in this room, we are all called to be ministers on some, in some capacity, right? When Jesus looked in Matthew chapter 28 and said, make disciples, baptize and teach, he didn't mean that just for people that worked at a church full time. He meant that for all of his followers. So if that is the case, and if ministry should not stop when times get tough, we have to ask ourselves, when the world is its darkest, is the church shining its brightest? Listen, I'm, I'm gonna say it one more time. The last couple of years, if you haven't noticed, have not been our best, right? I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the government, I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about how we have acted. We have not been the best. And so many believers have gotten distracted to fight about politics or fight about vaccines or argue with people about this or argue about that. And we have not loved people the way that God has called us to love people. We have not shined as bright as we should shine in these dark times, okay? But we should, we should. And so here's the other thing. Because this first part of chapter 12 is about history, the Jewish people found it advantageous to know their history. Because if you've never heard this, those that do not study history are doomed to repeat the mistakes of history. That's why all of you need to read Animal Farm by George Orwell. Anyways, um, I didn't say that. I'm an English teacher. I think I can get away with that comment. Okay, if we do not know what has happened in the past, we're doomed to repeat it. We're doomed to fall into those same cycles. So tracing the history of the Levites helped them determine how they are to live in the present and how to set up for the future. That's just like you and I right now. I don't know if you guys know this or not. The book that we are studying this morning was written 2,500 years ago. That was a long time ago. And I think one of the most interesting criticisms uh, that people bring to me about the Bible is they say, well, that book's really old. You still think it can help? And my response is, people have not changed. We think that we're doing new things nowadays. We're really not. You, you, you guys know lust is not a new thing, right? You know that you can go into cave drawings from, from prehistoric times and there would be depictions of naked women on rocks. Men have always wanted women, right? Like there's always been lust issues. There's always been greed issues. That's not a new development. Even things like we talk about today, like the question of gender identity. Do you, go, do you guys know that's not a new thing? If you go back and study Roman architecture, literally from 2,000 years ago, there were statues from one angle it looked like a woman, from another angle it looked like a man, without getting into detail. This is not a new thing. These things are not new. We have different ways of exploring sin. We have phones versus drawing things on cave walls, but it's still the same sin. People have not changed. The reason why the Bible is so important 
is the person that created all humans authored this book through different people, right? And so if we are to weather and navigate the chaos of our time, let's go back to the source of the author of all things, right? Let's go back to the word of God to learn how to navigate present, present things and set us up for a better future. Here's another way of putting it. If you're a Christian in this room, our theology cannot change. It is immovable. Your theology means how you think and feel about God. And we get our theology from the Bible. Now, this is immovable. It does not move. Why? Because it says in the Bible that God was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the teachings and principles that we live by can never change because God never changes. I hope if you're a Christian in this room, you believe that because a lot don't nowadays. So though our theology does not change, listen, our way of delivering that theology, our way of teaching the gospel and sharing Jesus Christ, our methodology is always changing and it has to change. What does that mean? That means that 50 years ago, they didn't have PowerPoint. There's nothing wrong with PowerPoint, I love it. 85% of people are visual learners. I can put my notes up there, so if you're taking a note and I'm saying something or you just zone out because I'm boring, you can look up and you can see the points right there, right? It's helpful. They didn't have this 50 years ago. This is a relatively new method of communicating the gospel. Another example, there's a guy in Great Britain that's on Twitch. That's like basically a YouTube for gamers, right? I'm old, just found this out. So there is this guy that got on Twitch several years back. Now he has millions of followers. He's a Christian. And he said, when I got on Twitch, I did not give a rip about video games. Wasn't good at video games, didn't like video games. But he said, I learned that there are millions of kids on Twitch and no one is sharing the gospel with them. So he got on Twitch, started learning all this game, started putting up these really well-edited videos. And at the beginning and end, he would pray with people. He would share the gospel periodically. Kids would start asking him questions. He started giving thousands of Bibles away all over Europe to kids off Twitch, started praying kids through into a relationship with Christ over Twitch. That's a new development. The theology has not changed, but the methodology has changed and will always be changing. So what we have to know as Christians is we need to make sure that we are praying for God to give us creative ways to, to, to share the gospel, to give us grace, different new ways to build bridges with non-believers while never letting go of the teachings of this book. We cannot let go of the teachings of this book, okay? Theology never changes. Methodology is always changing, okay? Everyone's still good, right? You're quiet. I'm gonna read a little bit. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers gathered from the region around Jerusalem, from the settlements of the, those people, from Beth Gilgal and from the fields of Geba and Asmaveth, for they had built settlements for themselves around Jerusalem. After the priests and Levites had purified themselves, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah, that's the region, up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large processions that gave thanks, 
One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priests, sons with trumpets, and Zechariah, son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Madaniah, son of <laughs> that guy, son of Zakor, son of Asaph, followed as well as his relatives. There's the relatives. Go to verse 37. At the fountain gate, they climbed the steps of the city of David on the ascent of the wall and went above the house of David to the water gate on the east. Let me pause there. So one group of basically worshipers, praisers, he said, get on, the, get on the wall, go right, okay? The second Thanksgiving procession went to the left and it followed it with half the people along the top of the wall past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall above the Ephraim gate and by the old gate and the fish gate, the tower of Hanel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. They stopped at the gate of the guard the two thanksgiving processions stood in the house of God. So did I and half of the officials accompanying me, as well as the priests. There's the priests. Then the singers sang with Jezraiah as the leader. On that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. The women and children also celebrated, and Jerusalem's rejoicing was heard far away. So here's what's happening. They had, they had repopulated the city completely, right? Um, the, the history of the preachers, the Levites, was established. And because the people were there, because the religious order had been kind of established, they said, let's, let's dedicate this wall. So earlier in Nehemiah, they dedicated a portion of the wall. Now they're gonna dedicate the entire wall to God. Here's the thing about the wall. The wall was just brick, it wasn't magical. There was nothing spiritual necessarily about the wall. But that brick and mortar symbolized something to the Jews. This is a fresh start. This is that God provides. This gives us sanctuary. So it was special to them. Guys, it's the same thing with this building you're sitting in right now. Maybe not with all of you, but with some of you. There's nothing miraculous about these metal beams and wood and drywall. There's nothing spiritual per se about that. But for a lot of us in this room, this place is a sacred spot for us, right? This is where we gather together, where we worship together. If you ever come into this room during the week when there's no one in here, it's a really, really peaceful, awesome room to just like sit in. You're welcome to do that during the week if you ever wanna do that. You can come in here and pray, pray in the chapel. But there's nothing necessarily spiritual about the materials, but this place symbolizes something to us. So just like the wall did with them, right? They threw this huge party, they made one worship team go that way on the wall, one worship team go the other way on the wall. But before they did all this, it says in verse 30, this is important. It says that the Levites, the ministers, purified themselves first. They first prayed about their sin. Then they prayed for the other people. They prayed for the gates. They prayed for the wall. Why is this important? This is important because this completely parallels what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter seven. Very famous verse, often taken way out of context. But Jesus said, before you start pulling splinters out of everyone else's eye, make sure you address the piece of wood in your own eye. What that means is this. 
We have no business trying to help people out of sin that we are still trapped in ourselves. I'm not trying to be judgmental or mean. What that means is if I'm an alcoholic, I have no business going to a bar, talking to people and trying to get them out of alcoholism. I'm not there yet. I'm not equipped to go do that. I have to deal with my problem first, which means I let God deal with it. Then I can go and help you with your addiction problem. That's what that means. So here's the thing. Here's where it comes to to our society. We live in a society right now where everyone's saying, fix the world, fix the country, fix my state, fix everything. And I feel like God is, we can't do that until you let me fix you. Because a nation is made up of individuals. And if all the individuals are separated from God, you're just gonna have a society that is separated from God. It simply means that if we are going to change our school, our city, our neighborhood, our family, our friend group, it starts with our sanctification. It starts with our purification. I have to first address the evil in me before I start trying to attack the evil and everyone else because we're not equipped to do so. So again, you got two worship teams basically, right? And Nehemiah, they got up on this wall, must have been a pretty big wall. You guys walk this way, you guys walk that way, and we're gonna meet at the end of this, okay? So these two groups went out these different ways, and all they were called to do was thank God. Let me pause there for a second. When is the last time that you and I prayed and we didn't ask for a dang thing? We just said, God, thank you. Thank you for my car. Thank you for the fact that, you know, my kids are healthy. Thank you, Lord, that I have friends in my life. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you, God, that, that, that you know, I don't know, that, that I live in such a free country, whatever the case may be. When is the last time we just thanked God? And this is important. Not only is it important for us to thank God for things that we have now, it's important to think of all the things God has done for us in the past, because here's what happens. If we will thank God and remember all the things that God has done in our past, it helps us to not live in fear of the future because God has always taken care of us. I think the reason why so many people are afraid of the future is they forgot that God has never let them down in the past. And we need to remember that. There needs to be a reputation built in us of the goodness of God. This is why if you read the Old Testament, if you're going through the Old Testament, I don't know if you know that God split multiple bodies of water. He, of course, did it with the Red Sea. He also did it with the Jordan River and they crossed over the Jordan River. And after they crossed over the Jordan River, they built an altar. They got some stones and built up a a little altar, a little memorial right there. The reason why they did that is when future generations walked by, they're strolling along and they're like, what's that stack of rocks? And someone goes, man, that's the time God let them walk across the Jordan River, right? On dry land. Oh my gosh, right? It was to remember. We need to remember the things of the past because it helps us function now. If God has always had a reputation of never letting me down, why would he let me down now, right? He's good. And so they walk all around the wall and they end at the temple. They don't end at any kind of part of the wall where they're thanking God at the wall. They're in the church, if you will. And they offered great sacrifices and they were worshiping so much. It says that it was heard real far away, right? Real far away. The reason why they concluded at the temple and not at any part of the wall Listen, the wall was a miraculous gift from God. They built it in record time. The fact that they got favor from the Persian king and that they were not attacked and it went so smoothly, it was a miracle. Here's the thing though. They wanted to make sure 
that they didn't celebrate the gift more than they celebrated the giver of the gift. How much of a tendency do we as Christians have to focus more on the blessings than the blesser? We do it quite often. And what it ends up happening is we, we actually make idols out of the things of God. Our joy, our, sh- our contentment should not come from what God gives us. It should be from the fact that God simply knows who we are <laughs> and that I get to know who he is. And even if God never blessed me again, do we understand that anything that we have is because God has been good? We haven't earned anything. And we need to keep that in mind. It's not about the gifts. Blessings are a byproduct of having a relationship with God, right? And that's what we need to be focused on. On the same day, men were placed in charge of the rooms that housed the supplies, contributions, first fruits, and tents. We talked about that a couple of chapters ago. The legally required portions for the priests and Levites were gathered from the village fields because Judah, the region, was grateful to the priests and Levites who were serving. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, along with singers, gatekeepers, as David and his son Solomon had prescribed. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were heads of the singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, that's this day, right? All Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. Let me pause there. That meant that they paid their worship leaders and that they paid basically police officers to make sure the city was safe. They also set aside daily portions for the Levites and the Levites set aside daily portions for Aaron's descendants. Now what this part at the end is basically talking about is this. They dedicated the wall. They repopulated the city. They had this huge worship ceremony. And now it's the next day, right? It says the same day, but they knew that that, that they were gonna have to get to work basically. It's the same thing with us coming in here on the weekends. We hear the word of God, we take communion, we worship together, it's awesome. But now Monday, we have to get to work, right? I'm not talking about your job. I'm talking about the work of living out the teachings of Christ wherever we are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the case may be. There was still work to be done. And look at this. They say they had to find people to handle the finances, handle security, handle the church services, handle uh, uh, you know, policing the area, all these things. Basically, they're day-to-day jobs. And when they went out in those day-to-day jobs, they still had to be committed to the teachings of the Bible. Here's the thing about humanity, in case you haven't realized this. We're never gonna be perfect. Until we die and wake up in paradise with Christ or unless Christ splits the eastern sky and comes back for us, we're never gonna be perfect. Until he gives us a glorified body, a glorified heart, a glorified mind, we must always be working on our relationship with him And we must always be working on our relationship with other people. I don't care if you've been a Christian in this room for 50 years, you have not arrived. And if you think you've arrived, then we need to deal with your pride issue, right? Because we are always, we always have room to grow closer to God. We should always be working on that and always be working on sharing the gospel with other people. So here's the thing, celebrating the past is fine. I got baptized in September, or, uh, August of, of 2002, right? That's awesome to think about and remember. But man, I still got a long ways to go. I still got a lot to do, right? There's still a lot that, that we need to work towards. So we must also 
make sure that not only are we celebrating the things of the past, but we need to make sure that, that we're still moving closer to God right now in the present, that we are still evolving more to be like him, that we are still reaching out to more people, loving more people, creating more disciples of Christ, right? We need to make sure that we're focusing on that. But like I've said several times, and I think we say this a lot in this church, if we are going to do the work of the Lord in our jobs, our schools, our family, wherever we are, it starts with self. Like I said, back in verse 30, before the the ministers, which we've established, we're all ministers in this room now, before the ministers went out and tried to change everything else, they had to let God change them because we continually need work. And just like society continually needs help, we continually need help. So sanctification, that's a fancy word. All it means is that we are evolving towards Christ and thought, action, deed, and that we are being set apart for God to use us, right? That we're looking and thinking more like our Savior. Let me tell you guys why that's so important right now. And I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer. You and I live in dark times. You live in dark times. And if we, if you're a Christian in this room, if we are going to be the salt and light in these dark times, you and I cannot do this alone. Going back to this conversation of community, we need community because it helps us grow in our faith. We need community because we need to be held accountable. If I'm not living right, you need to tell me. If you're not living right, I'm gonna tell you, we need community. We need protection. Not only do we need community, if we're gonna go do the work of changing our city, if we're trying to do it as lone rangers, it's never gonna happen. But if we can come together as a group, right? We can come together as a large community. We can do some pretty impressive things in this town. This church, you guys, you guys have done that. Some amazing things in this town. We can do the work of God more efficiently. Let me tell you a a funny story real quick. I say it's funny. I probably shouldn't tell it, but whatever. So one time I'm I'm at a coffee shop and I'm working and two guys sit down. I didn't ask them to sit down. They just sat down. And one of them goes, hey, tell me about your barn. And I was like, "I, I live in the suburbs. I don't, and he goes, no, your church. I call big churches barns. And I was like, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's pretty condescending and derogatory, but okay. And so anyways, so I said, oh, okay, you know, yeah, you know, I think we're about this big and this is what we do and got a couple of campuses and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, oh, and he goes, you know why I call them barns? And in my mind, I'm like, I don't really care why you call them barns. But he, 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 he said, I call them barns because all you big churches do is just store up all this money. And in my head, I'm like, man, we don't have like a room back here with like millions of dollars and 10, you know, tens or something that I swim in during the week. That's not like, that's not how, that's not how it works, you know, but you big churches, you store up all this money, you barns. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, I'm done. But um, I said, okay, do you go to a church? And he goes, well, I lead a church. And I was like, oh, well, tell me about it. And he goes, it's a home church. And I was like, okay, you know, what? okay, I'm sorry. But, but. I said, okay, well, let me tell you about my barn for a second. I said, a couple of years ago, um, you, know, you know, our barn's big and, and we're a very uh, gracious barn. You know, a lot of people give a lot of money. I use that word a lot just to, just to be that guy. But um, <laughs> I said, a couple of years ago, uh, the Salvation Army here in town, the roof blew off of it. And I said, it was gonna cost $10,000 to fix the roof. 
and they didn't have the money to do it, and they were gonna have to lose four employees to pay for the roof being built at the Salvation Army. I said, so what, so what my barn did is, is because we pull our resources together, man, writing a $10,000 check is not a problem for us. So we wrote a $10,000 check to the Salvation Army, they fixed the roof, it saved four jobs. And so he goes, oh, and I said, well, can, can you and your small group do that? And then I said, guys, I got, got work to do, right? So I just went back to work. And it was a really snarky way of me saying, if we, just as one church, if thousands of us can pull our talents and resources together, man, 10,000, guys, you guys give away 50, 60 grand a month to nonprofits and stuff. You guys do amazing stuff because we pull our resources and we can do that, right? Imagine if a bunch of churches would get over their territorialism and a bunch of churches got together and not just the experienced community, but what if a bunch of churches in our county got together, pulled these kinds of resources and talents? What could we do for our county, right? When the people of God are on the same page. So not only do we need community for us, right, and to do the work in the city, we also need to be building relationships with people in the hopes of sharing the truth of Jesus Christ with them. But here's the thing. If we're going to go out and be the salt and light that God wants us to be, we have to build relationships with non-Christians. There is some really poor theology. There's a lot of poor theology that circulates in church. And one of those, and if you were raised in church, I, I, I wasn't, but a lot of you can probably identify with this. There are a lot of people who would say, don't, don't hang around non-believers, right? You need to be careful. Don't hang around non-believers. Well, we're thinking about doing the book of 1 Corinthians here in a couple of months. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses this. He says, no, 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 you need to be out in the world building relationships with people because that's the only way they're gonna hear about Christ. Paul said the people you need to stay away from, this is in 1 Corinthians, are the ones that claim to be Christians but don't follow the principles of Jesus. He said, don't even have dinner with them. Paul said that. Don't even have dinner with them. So we don't need, again, we don't need to be isolated. We need to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we can go interact with people that think differently from us, right? And that we can positively influence them instead of them negatively influencing us. So on that note, the ministry cannot slow down. In times, man, I'll tell you, in election years, it's hard, man. During this pandemic, it's been hard. Everyone has opinions and strong opinions, hateful opinions at times, it's tough. It is very difficult right now to love your neighbor. It's very difficult right now to love your brother and sister in Christ, if we wanna be very honest. But we cannot slow down. And not only loving God and growing with him, we cannot slow down loving those around us. Like I said earlier, it is in these dark times that the church should shine the brightest. When we're having riots in the streets and racial division and political arguments and, and all this strife and frustration and hatred and confusion, this is when the church should be stepping up to the plate. This is when we should be loving people stronger than we've ever loved them. This is when we should be sharing the truth more adamantly than we have ever shared the truth because it's dark out there and they need what we have. So the question is, are we pouring into people? Are we being gracious like God has been gracious to us? Jesus said this, right? To be gracious because I have been gracious to you. Are we speaking kindly to people? Well, Corey, you don't know how mean they are out there. But that's why Jesus said, bless those that persecute you and love those that hate you. Jesus said that. That's what we're called to do. And are we building relationships with non-believers, we're supposed to be. 
So if we are to be set apart for God to use us, if we're to be set apart for God to have a relationship with us, here's the thing. We cannot let go of this book. What I mean by that is we cannot let go of the teachings and principles of this book. There's always going to be new ways of sharing this knowledge, right? Now you can get this whole thing on your phone in any translation. That's a new way. Same words, same teaching, same principles, but it's a new way. How are we gonna share that? There are men's groups at this church that do whole men's groups where they walk through whole books of the Bible over like FaceTime stuff. What's the app where you can like send videos? Marco Polo, thing. that's how old I am. So you can get on there and whole groups are doing like Bible studies over these apps and stuff. That's a new way, but it's the same teaching. And so sanctification, being set apart for God to use us, only happens when we make God a bigger priority than ourselves. That means it becomes less about what I can get from God and more about what I can give back to the kingdom of God. Man, that's hard, guys but it becomes less about what I get out of this. And it's more about what I can contribute to this. It's, guys, I didn't say this at any of the four services, and this is gonna sound like a super big Debbie Downer. I give you my word, you will never get out of humanity what you put into humanity. Listen, as a guy who's been around a lot of humans, you will never get out of people what you put into people. But that's not the point. Jesus never gets out of you what he puts into you. The point is, do we love people? Do we love them at their worst? Do we love them because God first loved us, right? And showed us that grace and mercy. It's not about what we can get. It's about what we can contribute, what we can give for the glory of God. So last week we did an inventory. Let's do another quick inventory. The first question, let me go back. I wanna spoil all these other questions. The first question is this. This is a big one. What Christians do you have in your life that will challenge and encourage you. Oscar Wilde said, good friends will stab you in the front. (laughs) You need some people like that in your life. You need people that love you so much, they'll walk up to you and say, dude, you're not living right, you gotta stop. It's not because they don't love you, it's because they love you. Do you have people in your life to where if you're not at church, they're gonna call you and be like, hey man, why aren't you at church? Do you have good girlfriends in your life that if you keep flirting with that dude in the office and you're married, that they'll say, this isn't good for you. It doesn't glorify God, it's gonna ruin your marriage. Do you have those people in your life? Not only do you have those people in your life, do you have those people that when you are down and out, they will not leave you alone? Come on, get up, we're we're gonna do this together. Even if I have to throw you over my shoulders and carry you for a while, you're not gonna sit here. Come on, come on, you're gonna go with me. We're gonna work this out together. Do you, you don't need a ton of people like this in your life. You need three or four. Do you know where I get that number? Jesus had his 12, but he really had his three. He had those three that were really, really tight to him. Corey, people hurt you though. Yeah, one sold him out. 10 of them weren't even present when he hung on the cross. Yeah, people hurt you. But you gotta have your community. Do you have these people? Are you and I actively building relationships with non-Christians? Not because they're a project, but because we genuinely love them. Now, here's the other question with that. When we build relationships with non-Christians, 
when certain topics come up in their life, are we holding on to the truth of this book while still loving them passionately? Are we doing both? We cannot let go of either one. We must love them. We must love them through their mess. We must love them through their mistakes, but we cannot compromise the teachings of this book. We have to simultaneously do both of these things. Are we doing that? Okay. Which again, just leads to to this question. Are we in our personal lives holding on to that book, to the teachings of the book, to the principles of that book? Do we still believe it's relative? Do we still believe that what this says is right is right and what it says is wrong is wrong? Do we still believe in it? Are you and I praying for creative ways to share the gospel? Look, you may be in here and you're an engineer and you're like, I'm just not the creative type, right? Math is my thing. This is what I'm a numbers person. I'm not creative. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's talk about something else. All of us in this room, we need to be praying for God to put people in our lives that we can minister to, that we can be a blessing to, that we can share the truth with. I'm gonna challenge you to do this in your life. If you do it, be ready because God will do it. If you wake up in the morning and say, God, put someone in my path today that I can just share the truth with, that I can love, that I can build a relationship with, God will start doing that in your life. I give you my word. I'd pray that quite a bit. I'd pray, God, just send me someone today that I can talk to, that I can build a relationship with. And you'd be shocked at the situations that'll arise at work or school. Someone will walk up to you and be like, man, life's falling apart. Can you help? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and here's the thing. You and I hold the key to people's contentment, joy, and salvation. And there are so many people drowning in hopelessness, in doubt, in fear, anxiety, and and bad things have happened to them, and they need what you have. And we need to pray that God gives us the eyes to see these people, the patience and the ears to hear them out, and the wisdom to give them the words, right, that they need to hear. And again, I don't mean to to end on on kind of a down note. I'm not a prophet. I would never claim to be a prophet. But I think I can say this with a lot of confidence. Listen, it will never be easier to be a Christian than it is today, right now. I'm talking about right here in this moment. It will never be easier to to, to be a follower of Jesus than it is right now where you're sitting. And I can say with a lot of confidence because I believe this book backs it up it will only get more difficult to live by the teachings of this book. So if we understand that to be a truth, if we can't stand by this book, if we cannot love people now, if you think it's hard to love people now, I don't think we've even seen the tip of the iceberg yet. If we cannot love people and if we cannot live by the teachings of Christ now, we're gonna be in big trouble for the future. So you and I have to make a decision now that as times get harder, we will press into God harder. Listen, not just that. Not only will we press into God harder, we're gonna press into each other harder and I'm gonna press into people that don't know Jesus harder too. I'm gonna love people stronger than I've ever loved them before. I'm gonna love you more than I've ever loved you before and I'm gonna get as close to Christ as I possibly can because I only know that it's going to get more confusing, more difficult, harder, right? Will we keep doing these things? Will we keep doing the work of God when it becomes increasingly difficult? Would you bow your heads with me, please?
Hey, listen, if you are in this room and maybe you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, A, I'm really glad you're here. Really glad you're here. B, if you're in this room and that, that applies to you, up here on my right, your left, the front of the stage, uh, Pastor Muhammad's up here. If you have any questions for Pastor Muhammad um, about anything, about faith, about our church, anything, come up here and talk to Pastor Muhammad. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, guys, I'm talking anything. You, your family, if you're moving or job opportunities, whatever, it doesn't matter. The Bible says where any two or more are gathered in my name, that God is with them. So come up here and get prayer. We also have all the way around this room, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is communion. It's bread and wine, and it represents the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The reason why we take that, Jesus said, take this as a reminder of me whenever you gather. It reminds us that not only Jesus died on the cross for our sin, that if we ask for God to forgive us, he forgives us. Not only that, but we know from the Bible that Jesus didn't stay dead. He resurrected. And because of the resurrection, now you and I have access to the spirit of God. That not only did God die for our sins, but God is with us presently. God walks with us. He's there. So not only can we get closer to him, we can go out and do the work of God in our communities. And we need to be closer to him than we, we've ever needed to be close to him. So communion is available for anyone who wants to go get it. You just have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, okay? Let me pray for you before you guys help yourselves. Lord, we love you. God, I love this church so much. I love these people. God, this is my family. These are my friends. I pray that you protect us, keep us safe, keep us healthy, God. Lord, light a fire in our hearts, God, not only to be closer to you, God, but to love people. It is difficult, God, but Lord, put a love in our heart for your creation, for people. Not only believers, God, non-believers. Lord, let us be the salt and the light. Keep us safe, God. Keep us focused on you. Don't let us be distracted by all the chaos in the world, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Man, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.